Good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you today. Welcome to our family gathering, and welcome to week seven. Is that right? Of Ro- <laughs> it's been a long time. Uh, in the book of Romans, we're uh, we're continuing for the next uh, few weeks. We're going through Romans eight before we hit Thanksgiving. Uh, at Thanksgiving, John mentioned. Um, we're doing a, a lunch afterwards, but th- the, the Sunday after Thanksgiving is also a day that we uh, share stories and testimonies and uh, prayer requests and, and do an extended time of worship. So uh, that's always a fun day on the calendar. So we're, we're going to be pausing Romans at that point to, to celebrate Thanksgiving and then to move into the Advent season as a lead up to Christmas. And then we'll see where we land uh, come January. We might return to Romans, and or we might uh, return to it uh, later in the year. We're not quite sure yet. So those are some things coming down the pike. So um, I believe we have three weeks left, including today, uh, in Romans 1 to, to 8. And, uh, and then we'll be on to other things. So uh, we are reconstructing Romans, though. Uh, and so we're looking at the, the context of the book, who it was written to, what Paul is trying to accomplish in these folks, and what they're dealing with is, as a community. We're finding that this uh, community is fractured between Jewish and Gentile Christians. The Jewish Christians are trying to apply all these uh, rules and regulations Uh, underneath the the Jewish law called the Torah to their brothers and sisters in order for them to be considered fully Christian, fully followers of Jesus, uh, equal with them, and and that uh, they feel superior to them in some ways. We're going to talk about that a little bit more today. Last week, if you remember, uh, we, we talked about how in Jesus, God is writing a new story over us, all of us. Jew and Gentile alike, and that our baptism is the key to entering into and living from that story. Today we're going to see why it's important for us to remember our new story, not just for ourselves, but as we look at the lives of other people, especially those who are different than us. Okay? So we're going to be in the back line of, the, of Romans 6, and we're going to go to Romans 7, verse 6. So starting in verse 15, what then shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace by no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves as someone to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations, just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness. So now, offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. But what benefit did you reap at that time from the things that you were now ashamed of? 
Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what, to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Paul says to people who know the law, the Jewish Scriptures, the Torah, who've built their lives on the law of Israel, as being the very words of God, he says to them, we, as a fellow Jew, have been released from our reliance upon it so that we can serve the Spirit. In other words, you know that text that you've based your entire existence upon? <laughs> your marriage to it has been annulled like a widow's allegiance to her husband is annulled when he dies. You're not bound to it any longer. Nor are you bound to applying it to anyone else. You are constrained by it no more. I imagine that as Paul is saying to the, these words to this community of mixed nationalities, that the Jewish contingent in the room are gasping for breath. Did I just hear him say that correctly? Is he kidding? Are you serious? I imagine that there are some in that room who receive this word from Paul with relief and joy. But there are others <laughs> who receive this word with fear and disorientation. Some of you know what this feels like. You know uh, the feeling when someone comes along and messes with the interpretation of Scripture that you have known your entire life and based your existence off of. I've had some of these conversations with you. You remember Genesis? I do. This can be a hard word to accept. But it's hard for another reason too. And that's the reason that we're going to talk about today. And it has to do with the conflict that these Roman Christians are, are enmeshed in. Because if you remember, the Jewish Christians aren't just holding on to Torah because it gives them a sense of stability for their own lives. 
They're also enforcing the law onto their non-Jewish brothers and sisters. Why? Because they don't trust their character. They don't trust them. If you remember Romans 1, Paul brings up a whole list of things that the Jewish mind thinks that the Gentiles are guilty of. Slander and gossip and disobedience to parents and on and on and on, right? He uses that list to turn the tables on the Jewish Christians so that they can see themselves as being in the same light. The whole reason that the weak that Paul labels in this community are holding on to the law and holding it over the heads of their non-Jewish relatives in Christ is because they're thinking to themselves, if we throw out Torah as the thing that keeps our community on the right track to holiness, then all hell's going to break loose. How can these Gentiles continue to follow Jesus when they're capable of such nasty, nasty things? They need the law to govern their behavior because their consciences certainly aren't going to do the job. You can't throw out Torah. We need all those laws and regulations now more than ever if Jesus is going to go accepting people like them. Paul is saying to them, and by the way, to all of us who find it easy to fall into believing that rules and regulations are sufficient to make humans fully good, fully just, fully righteous, he's saying to all of us, you are released from that way of thinking and the terrible, terrible fruit that it produces in you and in everyone that you apply it to. You're released. You don't have to be the gatekeepers of morality anymore. Instead, receive the good news that we have been joined to God in Christ to bear the fruit of His kingdom and to become who God has always envisioned us to be. Friends, rules and regulations cannot do the work of the Spirit. And so look. Look upon one another. Look upon your neighbor. Look upon your kids, your parents, yourself with new creation eyes today and see the work that's already begun. Thanks be to God. We have been set free from the need to control so that we can become servants of the Spirit. Amen? Friends, my goal today is to make a few simple points, proclaim good news, trust the Spirit to do the rest, and close in under 30 minutes, and I'm 11 in. <laughs> Who's counting, right? Paul's letter is rubbing off on me, and I'm, I'm falling into old habits, and I'm trying to break that today. So, to that end, let's highlight three things I see Paul doing here, and then let's, let's move on. Paul's doing three things. He is, one, raising the status of the lowly in the community. Two, he is lowering the authority of the law. And three, he's doing both of these things so that he can separate serving the Spirit from following the code. Paul is raising, lowering, and separating. Okay? 
First, he is raising or he's elevating the status of the least, the lowly, and those of questionable character in the community. He says this in, in verse 17. Thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. This section is not just Paul talking about our own personal piety or holiness, whether I'm being a good Christian or a bad Christian, or whether I believe in, um, in the right atonement theory. None of that. In this section, Paul is addressing the entire community to do two things. The first thing that he's doing is he is speaking in such a way that authorizes, empowers, and gives agency and dignity to those who are religiously demeaned. The Gentiles. The strong. And at the same time, he's doing this in view of the, of the Jewish Christians and by speaking well of the Gentiles, Paul is offering his Jewish brothers and sisters a way to see those they consider inferior. He's giving them new eyes. These people that you think are less than you have come to obey from their hearts. This is striking. Paul is giving public acclaim to everyone in the Roman house churches, not just to those who've obeyed the law, because Everyone, including the Gentiles, have been wrapped up in this new story. So he's saying, you were slaves to sin, but now you've come to obey from the heart. In other words, you've shown that you're not governed by lesser systems. You're not obeying because of punishment and reward. You're not obeying out of a sense of moral duty. You're not obeying out of personal advancement. You're not, you're not living in fearful avoidance of pain or death or hell. You're not guilt-stricken in your obligation. Like, none of these things are happening in you. Instead, Paul says, Jesus Himself has claimed your allegiance. And you serve Him because you love Him and because His love is pumping through your veins. You're servants of His justice in Rome. I see it. And it's good. And notice Paul gives thanks to God because this is what God has been after all along. This is the kind of people that he's seeking and creating in Christ. This is the point of humanity. Not that we would be robots who do the will of God against our will or that we would do it because we're trying to get something from him. But that the kingdom of God and the teaching of Jesus and the good news of Christ would lead us to, to being the kinds of people that can use our own will and our own wisdom and even our own creativity to ask, how does my allegiance to Jesus lead me to act? With my church family, with my coworkers, with my biological family, with my spouse, with my friends, with my kids, with my enemies. How does my allegiance to Jesus and my love for him change the way that I enter into all these relationships and spheres of life? Friends, if you're asking that out of a desire to see Jesus at work in you and through you and to see the world changed and your relationships changed, that's the love of God. That's the Spirit of God. And if that's happening, then the law of God... The law of God has no more governing agency over you. 
You've moved beyond it. Can you see what Paul is doing? He's saying the people that you think need to be governed by rules and regulations of Torah, they're already showing their allegiance to Jesus in ways that go beyond what, what Torah can produce. They're not just honoring their mother and father because it's in the Ten Commandments. They're honoring their mother and father because they love them and because they want to see God's kingdom produced in their lives. That's the difference. Not just because it's part of a written code, but because the, the love of God is written on their hearts. This is what it looks like when the Holy Spirit comes. And so we don't see people, especially those that we consider as being lesser Christians than us, as being shackled to sin any longer. But we see them as agents of the kingdom, as opportunities to receive the work and the presence of Jesus Christ. And we call them to that reality. Friends, the good news that we proclaim is that we have been joined to God in Christ to bear the fruit of his kingdom and to become who God wants us to be. Rules and regulations, they cannot do the work of the Spirit. And so, look. Look upon each other. Look upon yourself, your neighbor, your kids, your parents, everyone, with new creation eyes and see the work that's already begun. And thanks be to God, we have been set free from the need to control so that we can become servants of the Spirit. So Paul raises the standing of the least, and at the same time, he lowers the authority of the law. This is shocking. He says, don't you know, brothers and sisters, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. And then he launches into his marriage analogy um, and gets a little uncomfortable for me. But the point that he's making is that Torah or the law, the Jewish scriptures, they had their day. They did what they were supposed to do. And it's not that Torah isn't good when it was given. Paul would say it was given by God. But that it cannot accomplish what needs to happen now. That day is over because you died to the realm that needed Torah's rules and regulations. It's not that rules are bad. It's not that boundaries and regulations are wrong. It's just that they cannot produce the life of God in us. They can't produce the life of God in us. I, I would imagine it's very uncomfortable for the Jewish believers to hear Paul talk about the law in these terms. Because the, the verbiage that Paul uses to describe the law, they're the exact same adjectives and verbs in Greek that he used to describe sin and death. He takes all those descriptors and he applies them to the law. So he says, for, for when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. That word for aroused passions is the same word as like desire or crave. And it's the same thing that sin does to us. See, to those who are untrusting of others' ability to follow Jesus faithfully, Paul says, I don't know if you remember this correctly, but the law hasn't done a great job governing your actions either. You who want to apply it to everybody else, 
If you just looked in the mirror, you would see that the same sinful passions that you, you're trying to squelch in others are a flame in you. All Torah did was inflame this, this superiority that you used over and against other people. And the fruit of that was death. In fact, uh, like I mentioned this, all the same terminology for Torah that he uses in chapter 7 is the same as sin and death in chapter 6. But here's the thing. It's not that Torah is bad or that they're trying to be bad by subjecting their brothers and sisters to it. But what's happened is that sin has hijacked their good intentions and produced evil through it. It took their good desire to help their brothers and sisters grow in their faith and it corrupted it into a need for control. Now here's the thing. I can... I can cast blame and point this out in others with the best of them. But the truth is, this temptation to rely on Torah to keep a community in check, to control our neighbors' behaviors by enforcing the law on them, that same impulse lives in me. It's lived in the church for a long time, right? But it lives in me too. I see it uh, in me as a dad. Because most days, my only imagination for how to be a parent, especially when it comes to dealing with my kids' misbehavior, is by enforcing more rules and more control. It's immediately what I go to. What needs to be taken away? What punishment needs to become? How does my authority need to grow over them? Right? Friends, there's a time and a place for rules and consequences. Paul says as much in verses 1 to 3. But I'm realizing, like, in the same way that Paul is trying to get the Jewish Christians to see the Gentile Christians in a new light, that they're capable of more than they're giving credit for, like, my kids aren't three and four anymore, you know? And so those methods, which <clears throat> once kept them safe, they now disempower them from making wise, loving, and healthy choices for themselves and for others. If I cling to them long enough, they will become agents of sin, separation, and death between me and them. Yeah? Treat a 23-year-old like you treat a 3-year-old and see how long the relationship lasts. Right? I can empathize with the Jewish Christians because just like them, I too, I'm not trying to harm my kids or destroy my relationship with them or unleash hell in my house by trusting in rules to get my kids to obey. Like I'm trying to be a good parent. But one of the things that I see in, in the way that Paul describes this, the way that he calls uh, these believers out of this mentality, is that we're not just responsible for the harm that we intend. We're responsible for the harm that we do. There have been a whole lot of church leaders over the decades who have been well-meaning in their application of rules and regulations to people that wanted to produce the kingdom of God in others, but by doing so only produced condemnation and death. We're all susceptible to it. So I'm, this is an area of my life where I'm waking up to this reality that if I if I treat my kids in such a way that my conscience is the only one that they have access to, 
They're like, my job is to make the rules and their job is to obey them. It's not going to do good work. I'm only training them to be dependent on me rather than dependent upon the Spirit's work in them. Which means they'll never learn to grow in their own wisdom and stand on their own faith and serve Jesus from their own hearts. The only way that that can happen is by releasing control and calling them to take responsibility. See, rules and regulations, they feel safer to us because they give us an illusion of control. But friends, that illusion is not produced by God. That illusion is produced by the tyrant called sin to enslave us to death. And it plays on our fears and our anxieties. But thanks be to God, because a new day has come. We've been joined with God in Christ to bear the fruit of the kingdom and to become who God wants us to be. So friends, rules and regulations can be good, but they cannot produce the Spirit's work. And so look upon everyone, your neighbor, your friends, your family, and yourself with the eyes of new creation and see the work that's already begun because we're set free from the need to control so that we can become servants of the Spirit. Okay, Paul raises the standing of the least. He lowers the authority of the, of the law so that he can separate what it looks like to serve the Spirit from following the written code. These two things are utterly different from one another. He says in verse uh, 4 and 6 of chapter 7, So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another. You don't belong to the law anymore. Who do you belong to? You belong to Him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. Verse 6, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Now, later Paul's going to describe what life in the Spirit looks like. Some of you, your, your favorite chapter in the entire Bible is Romans 8, and we're getting there. And that's where Paul talks about life in the Spirit. And it's a favorite of mine too. This is only a hint of what's to come down the pike. But one thing that we can see from here is where we've been to this point. And the thing that became apparent to me is that serving in the Spirit, in this new way that Paul is talking about, what does it look like? Well, it looks like what Paul has been doing for seven chapters now. Paul has been doing the very thing that he wants them to do. He's been demonstrating the very truth that he now proclaims to them. And so what does it look like? Well, it looks like all the things that Paul has done. So let's remember them for a second. It looks like serving in the Spirit, serving someone else and what they need rather than exercising control over them. Well, it looks like freeing people who are under the condemnation of others. And it looks like confronting those who are judgmental to take an honest look at their own hearts. And it looks like proclaiming the unity that Jesus died to produce in us. And it looks like calling people out of their old lives because they don't live there anymore. And calling people into the new creation to embrace who they really are. And it looks like entering into 
the struggles and conflicts of others, to understand them from the inside. And it looks like calling people who are suspicious of your motives and methods, my brothers and sisters. And it looks like refusing to give hard and fast rules just because you know the Scripture. Because the Spirit may be up to something that you can't perceive yet. Yeah? These are all things that we've seen in Paul. In all of his uh, verbose ways and hard-to-figure-out language, this is what Paul has been doing from Romans 1.1. In other words, the, the work of the Spirit is full of grace and truth that empowers people to discover how God is already present and at work. It curiously seeks to understand the conversation that God is already having with someone and compassionately joins that conversation without judgment or assumptions. This is the gift that Paul has been giving to the Roman Christians. And friends, it's a gift that we can give to one another. Yes? The good news that we proclaim is that we have been joined to God in Christ to bear the fruit of the kingdom and to become who God has always envisioned us to be. Rules and regulations... They can keep us safe for a time, but they cannot do the work of the Spirit. And so look upon one another, everyone, with new creation eyes, and perceive the work that's already begun. Because we've been set free from the need to control so that we can serve the Spirit. Thanks be to God. So, as we respond, let's ask. What if we trusted the Spirit to do the work of the law? What if God really was present and at work? What if He did care about your relationships even more than you do? What if the same work that He wants to do in somebody else is the work that He wants to do in you at the same time? What if He's inviting you to see them and yourself in a new way? In what relationships then is God calling you to trust that He's already present and at work? That He could be trusted beyond what rules, regulations, and laws can do? Where is He inviting you to see that He cares more about that person, that friendship, that relationship, even more than you do? Where are you sensing then that you can join a conversation rather than force an outcome? For me, as I mentioned, it's when I'm in the area of parenting and my kids. Last week I shared a moment when one of our boys surprised me with his level of maturity and ability to reconcile with his friend and take responsibility for his actions. But that was like an hour in a week. With How many hours are in a week? <laughs> it seems like the anomaly most days. It's the outlier. Several other instances have come along before and since where I'm tempted as a dad to trust in punitive punishment to accomplish the, the fruit of the Spirit in my kids. And I'm finding myself making a lot of threats and demands rather than making space to enter into their concerns and desires to see where the Spirit's already in conversation with them. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe for you it's a friend or a family member who's going through a challenge and you find yourself trying to fix with advice and instructions to follow, trying to give them rules and regulations because you think that those might produce life 
Well, just do this and it'll be okay. Just stop that and it'll be fine. This temptation resides in all of us. Maybe instead we are being called to join them with empathy and trust that the Spirit's doing something, even if we don't know what it is. Maybe it's with yourself. Maybe you've lived for a long time trained by strict religious rules and guidelines around what you can and cannot do, and if you don't follow them, then you're in danger of sliding down the slippery slope to destruction. Maybe you're waking up to the fact that these laws have kept you out of trouble, but they haven't produced the love of God in you. If that's the case, a new day has come. A new spirit is at work. Friends, we can take this approach to our country as well. Uh, A lot of us Christians think that if we impose the right kinds of rules, regulations, or language on our nation, then it will remain or become or get back to a Christian nation. If we just have the Ten Commandments outside the courthouse, everything will be fine. If we just keep in God we trust in the pledge, then our, our nation is destined for greatness. We can apply the same logic to the nation that we live in, friends. And the common thread behind all of these moves isn't faith, it's fear. It's fear. It's fear of what might happen if we die to the old ways. It's fear of not knowing the do's and don'ts that keep me and my loved ones safe. It's fear that God doesn't care about these things as much as I do. Friends, if you're in touch with that fear, submit it to Jesus who rose from the dead to conquer sin, fear, and death. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, you are alive and well in our community, in our nation, in our family. We come by our desire for control through laws, rules, regulations, principles. We come by that honestly. Most of us aren't trying to wreck our families by telling everybody what they should and shouldn't do. In our own wisdom, in our own way, God, we're trying to help. We're trying to be a source of life. But would you wake us up to the greater power that's at work, the greater one who rose from the dead and now leads us not by written codes, but by the law that's written on our hearts. Would you increase our allegiance to Jesus and our trust that you know and can do more than we can ask or imagine? We submit our very real relationships to you with all of our fear and disorientation Would you take them up into yourself and produce more than we could do? In Jesus' name, amen.